0: Kevin Woodley joining us on the phone right now. He writes for Ingold Magazine. How are you, Kevin?
1: I'm good. It's uh, we got rid of the snow here in Vancouver. We don't handle that very well on the West Coast. Sunny, <laughs> beautiful today. Driving into the rink to. To watch two of the worst teams in hockey, the Canucks and Ducks, so my day is my day is exciting.
0: It's a beautiful thing. It's the Bedard Bowl. It, it is very exciting because whoever gets that kid is getting a good one. But Kevin, I suppose like this came up kind of off the cuff. We were talking about the Calgary Flames and and whether or not Daryl Sutter's in the hot seat and mm. if there's any way they could sneak into the playoffs still in the wild card race in the West, but. Um, markstrom has been the guy that this all kind of hinges on he's had a couple promising performances recently but what do you make of his body of work so far uh and do you think he can turn it around in this last home stretch
1: well i mean certainly last night was a good sign and the start before that looked a little more like the jacob markstrom who was a Vesna trophy finalist last year and um, they're going to need that because clearly goal scoring has become an issue and i you know I, i do wonder i haven't looked at the numbers from last night in terms of the analytics because shots on goal rarely tell the full story in terms of quality um, but I do wonder you know as things get really tight for the Flames are they buckling down a little more defensively than maybe they have for Daryl throughout this season I mean clearly I don't think it's a secret I don't think frankly you needed the Alan Walsh tweet to tell you that there's some issues uh, within that locker room in terms of with the coach and how he handles things and there's a shelf life there and, and to me they hadn't been the same team defensively now they seem to have buckle down Markstrom's playing great but there's no goals and so you wonder how much of that buckle down comes at the cost of trading chances or generating chances at the other end so that said hey they were up against uh, Philip Gustafson last night so maybe I shouldn't discount the fact that that kid has just been brilliant we want to talk about goalies in Canadian markets uh, how about the Ottawa Senators saying Sayonara to Philip Gustafson, and he now is the only goaltender in the National Hockey League that has a better adjusted save percentage this season than Linus Allmark. That's wow. how good he's been for the Minnesota Wild. Like, I feel like that is maybe one of the most overlooked stories in the goaltending world this season. Is how good Philip Gustafson has been in Minnesota.
2: It, it's the answer to a question that I was I was going to ask. Of just like we we know Allmark has just been incredible. He's been this out of nowhere story and um, just everything he's done. Like the Vesna has been wrapped up for a while. When you're talking about yeah. surprises outside of Allmark, is Gustafsson at the top of your list? Is there another guy you can think of? Surprising could go either way, too. Could be bad, could be good as far as a goaltender's play this season. Outside of him, is there anyone else that comes to, to your mind?
1: Um, to be honest with you, I, and, and I'll throw, throw this out there, I don't see Linus, I mean, obviously, historically good season, so maybe that's a bit of a surprise. But like to me, Linus Allmark, and again, I lean on the adjusted numbers here, like relative to shot quality. Clear side analytics, um, having a look under the hood there and seeing how a goalie actually performs, um, based on the environment he's in. Allmark was really good in Buffalo. So, uh, you expected an adjustment period last year. I think there was, uh, NHL.com, actually, Amelie Benjamin had a great story on some of the things that Linus was going through last year. And there was also, there's also a change in Linus's game this season. Um, in an era where, most goalie coaches will preach set and square. Mark and the Bruins are only preaching one of those things, and that's square. If you watch him play, and this is quite counterintuitive to how a lot of goalie coaches would want their goalies to play and to do things, he's got a little backwards drift in his game on purpose, even on open looks, even on open shots. And so um, talking to him and talking to Bob Asenza when they were in town here recently... Um, they butted heads a little bit over. Both of them used that phrasing last season. Uh, it didn't make a ton of sense to Linus. he tried it, it didn't always work. But he really bought in this summer and so, you know, in a game that's become increasingly dynamic east-west and a lot of laterals and a lot of side-to-side, um, rather than dropping sort of being set and locking yourself in and almost dropping forward into a butterfly, a little bit of backwards momentum, they call it recoil, the, you know, it's, bob even said i'm not a you know i'm not a physics guy but bodies in motion tend to stay in motion so recoveries lateral plays east west pucks that hit sticks and and off legs in front of a goalie off a shot broken plays we call them like all marks numbers are off the charts in all of those and i think a lot of that is because he's bought into this concept of actually moving backwards off shots and off plays that aren't just rush chances on purpose and it's Somewhat counterintuitive to a, the way a lot of modern goaltending is, is taught, and it's worked really well for them. Uh, other surprises, that I mentioned, small sample size. There's not enough of a sample there to me for him to, you know, be uh, in the a discussion. UC Soros, not so much a surprise. But it's really hard to back it up from one year to the next. We saw that with Thatcher Demko here with the injury. That might be his performance earlier this year. might be a surprise in the other direction to me. Um, but Soros has established himself as an elite, you know, year-after-year guy. Shisterkin not being able to say the same is a surprise to me. Given the skill set and the tools, um, the weight of expectation, a team that, you know, in some way doesn't lean on him as much, like they're not outplayed to the degree they were last year, and that creates a different kind of pressure. Uh, when 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 you're expected to be great, but you're not as busy and you're not having to steal games. It's a different kind of mental pressure. And, you know, he's had a bit of an up-and-down season. playing a bit, but top of my head, those would be some of the bigger surprises to me.
0: With Kevin Woodley right now of In Goal Magazine, and I wanted to ask you about Thatcher Demko. Uh, you mentioned that you're at Canucks Morning Skate today and, and you'll be at the game tonight. The start of his season was surprising. How much of that do you think... Uh was to do with the injury and how has he found some stability now?
1: Uh two things. Like like for sure the injury as the season went on became a factor. Um I believe and I don't mean the injury that ultimately shut him down for three months. Um he had a procedure in the off season and by the time he got hurt he was compensating for that side. Like he was he was basically and I don't even think he was conscious of it. Like it was a subconscious body protects itself. Little extra movement, uh, on the one side that was, that was actually fine as a compensation to protect, um, the, uh, the injury from the, the summer that was, that was operated on. Uh, but as soon as he had to move east-west in that position, that, that compensating position, it, it extended the chain down the right side significantly. And so that groin injury was only a matter of time. Um, three months later, uh, he's, he's got some outside help in terms of how he's training and the way he's taking care of himself physically. I think his body feels as good as ever and you're seeing the results. Um, he's been really good since he came back and that's even having to shake off what, what he admitted were, uh, mental scar tissue, the uncertainty of being able to trust his body and, and being able to go out there and, and, you know, perform these dynamic east-west, you know, spectacular lateral pushes and movements that, that really, you know, defined him. And that brings me to the other part of his start this season. The reason they defined his game, I actually think there's a lot of good technical structure there. But because of the way this team defended, you need the other element. You have to have that dynamic, explosive, uh, extended ability because this team gives up so much through the middle of the ice and so many seam passes, and especially pre-Rick And that was... Like, Dr. Demko was fine at the beginning of the season. The team was not defensively. They were a bottom third defensive team last year, and he performed at a Fesna consideration-worthy level to sort of get them even remotely in a playoff race last season. For the, for the first third of this season before they made the coaching change, they weren't bottom third. They were bottom three. They were the worst team in the National Hockey League in terms of the quality and quantity that they gave up off the rush, which is where most dynamic offense is created, um, and that's just too much for any goaltender to overcome. And so I think he was fine early. The the compensation issue that led to the injury crept up as the season went on, but I also believe, you know, speaking of the Ducks and Gibson uh, coming into town here in Vancouver tonight, like I believe bad defense has a cumulative effect on goaltending when you can't trust structure breaks down as consistently as we saw it break down here in Vancouver this season. And, I mean, just go through Canucks media, um, you know, throughout the season and how many times one corner and, you know, an elite player standing all alone on the back door, how many times there's wide open seams for the puck to be moved through east-west. Like they were a tire fire defensively. And as that piles up over a month or two, um, you can't help but cheat. You know, Reads that goaltenders make, and we do video reads with goalies every weekend in Goldmag.com, where they sit down and review their saves and talk to us about the reads they're making. They require at least some degree of predictability. When your own defense doesn't know where they're supposed to go and so they all end up going to the same place, how the hell are you supposed to read what you're supposed to do when they don't seem to know what they're doing? And I think that over time it leaves you guessing, it leaves you cheating, it leaves you playing deeper than you'd like to because you can't get to the top of your crease and trust that's where you can safely be because there might be someone sitting back door wide open behind you. And I think as much heat as he's taken over recent years...
0: Oh, he's in the car right now. Sorry, we lost you there just for a second, Kevin.
1: Oh, sorry. Oh, there you go. I was just going to say, John Gibson's been going through this for five years. Like... So I, I know it's easy to pick on John Gibson. I've watched some of his performances this year. Like, you know, when you can't trust what's going on in front of you, when it's that wide open, I, there's only so much you can do. So I, I, it feels times like, hopefully it's not like this tonight, but it feels like at times when I watch the Ducks, they're trying to kill John Gibson. I, I, there's a guy that I know he's been maligned by a lot of people. I, I really want to see him get a chance with a real team before he's done because I still believe there's an elite talent there.
2: We're talking with Kevin Woodley of In Goal Magazine. You mentioned a couple of things just stood out about what you were talking about and and kind of structure, familiarity. It's it's so much more that goes into just um, the goals against and saves for goalies and how they approach the game, how they kind of feel the game and the mindset that they have. So when you're looking at the Tampa Bay Lightning, just went on a bit of a five-game losing streak, cleaned it up. Um, The one constant, though, has been Andre Vasilevsky, and he's still managing to put up insane numbers. He's second in the league and wins with twenty nine. He's tenth in save percentage. He always just seems to have that consistency. So how does a goalie continue to kind of keep course despite his team losing and and maybe that speaks to some of the things you were just talking about with whether it's structure or familiarity?
1: Well, I would say some of that structure has dissipated this year in Tampa Bay, like like, listen, to me, the most remarkable thing the Tampa Bay Lightning have done is take a group of elite, talented players, and John Cooper has them bought in on how to play well defensively and within those structured systems over the past couple of years. And it was a lesson they learned the hard way, right? Like, that first-round exit, um, you know, forever ago, you know, you looked at their high-danger five-on-five goals against or expected goals against, and they were 20th in the league. I don't care how good your goaltending is, even the best in the world in Vasilevsky, if you give up on a consistent basis, you're not going to win. And they were out in the first round that year. The next year, and pretty much ever since, they've been one of the best teams in that statistic. It's a really good barometer of playoff matchups, and ever since they trended up in that statistic, they've been a cup contender. Um, I actually don't have it in front of me to pull it up this year. But on a game-to-game basis, it feels, and we've heard John Cooper talk about this, where they've gotten away from it at times and leaned on Vasilevsky more. It's funny, you mentioned top 10 in save percentage. When I adjusted for environment, uh, last I checked a few days ago, it was top 4. Right, So he's actually outperforming a defensive environment that has, I would say cratered, because they still have that in their DNA, that defending. Um, But it's certainly slipped from the levels it was at before, and you're asking Vasilevsky to do more, he's perfectly capable of it. But again, whether it's Demko at the start of the season or Vasilevsky when they decide to stop caring about their own end or trading chances off the rush, eventually there's only so much a goaltender can do, even when, like I said, Andre Vasilevsky remains the best in the world, in large part because of the consistent ability to play as much as he does and play at that high level, year after year after year
0: yeah okay so you're saying there's a chance that feels like an appropriate time to switch to the toronto maple Leafs with kevin woodley right now of in goal magazine we have uh there's no goaltending drama in toronto but we have goaltending drama here at tsn 1050 kevin because the guys in our morning show and a couple guys on our on our afternoon drive show think that if they're both available matt murray Will be the starter game one of the playoffs. The only way he won't be the starter is if he's unavailable. But Samsonov's body of work this year has been impressive. So where do you stand as to who the Leafs will go to in the postseason versus Vasilevsky?
1: I'm gonna plant my ass firmly on the fence.
0: I like it. It's a safe a, spot, man.
1: I don't uh, a I don't want to cause any ruffle any feathers. B I don't watch him nearly as closely as as, as y'all do. So. On a game-to-game basis, I looked at the numbers. Like, like to me, Matt Murray got had a really good start, and I think when he's healthy, you know, uh, as much as that deal, and I think I might have been the only person that actually didn't mind that deal for the Leafs and actually liked it because I'm watching the changes in Matt's game, and as much as they evaporated in his first appearance there in Toronto, they're sort of back. The way he's able to narrow out a little bit, his mobility improves from that. Like, I like a lot of what I see out of Matt. Again, like, am I saying he's Thatcher Demko or Andre Vasilevsky or in that tier? No. But his performance is, again, relative to a a good environment. Like, if you're a goalie, you want to play in Toronto. The narrative of them being a team that doesn't defend, I mean, God, I hope that's been out the window for years now, because they're a team that goalies should want to play behind. Um, but, but the reason I'm, the real reason I'm sitting on the fence is why not both? Like, why do we have to declare a starter? In a year where we're seeing tandems rule the day, and that could include the Boston Bruins and Lina Salmark. <clears throat> since mid December, one of the only guys who has, you know, adjusted numbers that are near Lena Salmark and, and Philip Gustafson is Jeremy Swayman. Yeah. We're watch- Mark Andre Fleury since mid December has similar numbers, like maybe not quite up with Gustafson, but he's been top ten since mid December. Um why not? In an era where you have to play both, why is it absurd to suggest you could play both in the postseason? I know it never happens. Most coaches aren't brave enough to try it. One guy wins the first one and you would never consider taking him out for the second. But when you do it consistently back and forth all season, um, I, I don't, I don't know why you can't go in there with an open mind towards using both in the playoffs. And I think in the case of the Leafs, there are, specific things that will dictate, you know, not just beyond – like you can't just look at results, you have to look at performance. And there are elements of Matt's game, and there are elements of Ilya's game that are very – oh, I hate the word pre-scout because it's just a scout, but they're pre-scoutable. It's not a word. I'm going to use it anyway. Yeah. But there are elements that you can attack in both guys very specifically. And if your team allows that to happen and you see it being exposed and you see another team – you doing something effectively against one of them and they're not able to counter that quickly, then you switch to the other guy. Yeah. Like, I see strengths and minuses in both guys, and I don't see why you have to absolutely, as much as we in the media want, you've got to have a number one, because if you don't have a number one, you know, if you say you have two number ones, it means you don't have one. Like, I just think in an era of tandems, as much as a grind as the playoffs are and as much of a freak as Andre Vasilevsky is playing every game for the last three straight playoff runs, um, I'm tempted to use both. I think Minnesota went waited way too long to go to Cam Talbot last year, uh, and especially with Matt's, you know, inability to stay healthy. To put it frankly, yeah, um, even if he's your guy going in, you can't ride him all the way through. You're going to need both.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say when you were talking about Matt Murray and his game there. And we'll let you go after this, Kevin. I know, I know you're you're busy today, but it, it's not really a performance based stress with Matt Murray. It's more being able to stay in the net. And then, so I, I don't think a tandem in the playoffs is is the craziest idea either. We just haven't really seen it. So, how how do you effectively, in your mind, deploy a tandem in the postseason?
1: Wow, I'm going to go people are gonna tell me i'm taking crazy pills but um this is something i've wanted to see for a oh long. my god this you're is, gonna say back
0: actually, and forth aren't you
1: this is this is something that like like i think it's just my little pet project that <laughs> that i've always wanted to see and like like honestly like why not alternate and and maybe the home and road split dictate maybe, maybe you alternate home and road
0: right mm-hmm. like yeah that's not um, crazy
1: you know Samsonov has been so good at home again not going to pretend I've watched every game, but, you know, looking at some of the numbers. Like, maybe you entertain that idea. Um, Camsonos obviously also never been the guy. Like, you're going to have to watch how how pressure affects him. And, again, not whether goals go in. Like, he, that's Curtis Sanford. That's the goalie coach. When we get into the playoffs and under pressure, does Ilya have to continue to, results be damp. Does he continue to play the way we've been working on him playing in high-pressure moments? Or does he start to look different? Does he start to do things differently, which are signs of tension, which are signs that he may be feeling that moment? These are all things you have to consider. But honest to God, the back-and-forth tandem is something I wanted to see. I, it actually worked once in the American Hockey League. Um, Corey Schwab and Mike Dunham literally alternated every second game and won a call their top. Robbie Petorek was the coach. But all three of those names should tell you how long ago it was and how long I've been hoping for another team to try it at a higher level. We, we saw the San Jose Sharks one year go back and forth between Tosca and Nabokov the entire season. And I was convinced Ron Wilson was going to keep running that in the playoffs. And then Toskala got hurt like mid-March and Nabby ran the rest of the way. Um, the other one is Vegas. Mark Fleury and Robin Lehner alternated starts for close to two straight months with the Vegas Golden Knights. And both of them had their best performances, maybe not of their entire career, but certainly in their time with Vegas. They were both playing at such a high level. So what do you do when you get in the playoffs? Fleury was brilliant in the first game. You feel like you need to go back to him. You ride him to the point where by the end of that series you barely get through, he's, he's gassed. He's done. You have to start laner opening the next round. You basically give up a game because Robin hasn't played in a couple weeks. I just think, you know, as crazy as back and forth seems, it's not that terrible. Um both guys manage to stay in a rhythm, especially if they've done it throughout the season. There's a lot of tandems that, that play a two one, you know, two starts to one or back and forth throughout the year. Why not continue in the playoffs? The last thing you do in the playoffs, and this is what most coaches will say, win and you're in your in. Winning you're in from a goaltending perspective is stupid. The position has enough pressure on it. Winning your in ignores the fact that the goalie doesn't often dictate whether the team wins or loses. Like he can play great and they doesn't get run support and he loses. Winning your in just adds a layer of, oh man, if I don't win this game, I might not start again and then the other guy might get on a run. Like why do you, why do you want to create that dialogue within your goaltender's head in a position where they hire sports psychologists and all kinds of things to try and keep them in the moment? Why do you want to make them look at the future and consider a results based um, mindset when everything is about the next shot, next save mentality? So I'm not a big fan of winning your in. I'd much rather see a, hey, this is how we're going to go.
0: A plan in mind. My- do your best.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Just roll it forward.
0: Okay, well, uh, you sold me on that pretty well, Kevin. Lots of people think it's really outlandish to go back and forth in the postseason, but we know how good Samsonov's been at home. Uh, so it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world to see. It might be interesting. But we appreciate your time, and we hope we can catch up again down the road and enjoy the the Bedard Bowl tonight.
1: I will. Unfortunately, there's only one team in the Bedard Bowl tonight because... The only thing more predictable than Vancouver drivers sucking in the snow is the Canucks winning meaningless games down the stretch. They oh, yeah. them out of a good lottery spot. <laughs> you
0: know, a Vancouver boy, too. It just hurts. But uh, enjoy, Kevin. That's Kevin Woodley, writer for In Goal Magazine. That
1: was fascinating.